0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now,
1: we're live on the web.
0: Morristown, yay! Okay, flat, flat, yeah. It's actually been months, uh, kind of, uh, we've had this like, endless cycle of like hope, ah, and then disappointment, frustration, renewed hope, and God finally came through big time. It was actually on Friday afternoon, we signed a contract, finally, with the brand new Hyatt Morristown um, to, to host our Sunday services there beginning Easter, April 8th, and we still can't believe God provided this environment. This is actually a picture of the Hyatt. It is one of the most elegant, it is a, it's a four-star hotel, it was newly remodeled this past year to the tune of nine million dollars. Uh, And it provides a central location for our people to worship and serve. It's actually located just one block from the green in Morristown, where we hosted our free market outreach this past summer. And if you remember, part of our goal in launching out was to plant a church in a missional location. That is, we don't want to just fill a facility, but to actually serve a city. And we're so excited about the idea of just kind of making Jesus famous in Morristown. You know, it's a little bit like Hoboken, kind of young, creative, professional environment. But we know there are going to be a lot of lost folks and families that will now be able to serve through our outreach and some expanded children's programming. And the environment is really truly above and beyond. It is anything more than we could have hoped for or imagined. This is, these are actual pictures. You can t- take a look kind of the front lobby of the hotel. It's, it's got a living room vibe to it. Uh, Mikey and I were there the other day, and Mikey said to me, he's like, it's like we walked into a pottery barn catalog. <laughs> and we love that, not just because you know, like it's cool or something, but it, it is in line with our mission of creating environments that are safe, ...and comfortable for places for people to take a first step back to God. Maybe for the first time. So we'll be hosting our services actually in the Grand Ballroom... ...and we have the entire thing rented out for services on Sunday. It will increase our seating capacity to between five and 600 people... You know, we don't want to have a big bum rush with all you people here at this later service, you know. Uh, but but as, I, as I said before, we'll continue to have our regular evening services, most likely 4 and 6.30, just as we do now. But we'll be opening up a morning one, probably 10.30 or so, to make room for a whole new congregation of people who are finding their way back to God. So the idea is that we'll have kids, continue to have kids at 4 o'clock and kids at whatever that time that is in the morning, maybe 10.30. We're actually not set on times yet, and we're going to email you this week. We want your input. We're going to actually put an online survey out there so you can tell us what time you'd be most likely to come to church, because it's all about you, no, and, when, and what time actually works best. Now, most importantly, and I know this is like on everyone's mind, especially for those people who are going to come in the morning, there is a fully functional Starbucks-esque coffee bar right in the lobby. Where you can get your you know double skinny mocha, chocolate, frappuccino, whatever it is that you get before the service. But beyond that, we love the Hyatt because they've designed the spaces you can kind of see relationally. There are all sorts of like little you know kind of nooks where you can hang out and chill and chat. And that was one of our priorities in finding a new home. So that you don't have to kind of rush out the door after the service or people, you know, in the beginning, oh move your cars, please. In fact, parking will never be an issue again. <laughs> uh, the Hyatt is located right in the headquarters plaza where there are over 3,000 parking spots. And we have arranged, yeah, good stuff, and we've arranged on Sunday for all parking to be totally free. No charge, no hassle. You just pull up, you grab a cup of coffee, and you come to church. Now, after church, you can do whatever it is you like. Uh, right within the main hotel, there are tons of options. You can go out to brunch with friends at the uh, you know, eclectic grill. Uh, the Hyatt folks even talked about maybe putting a little special brunch menu for us. They have been a delight to work with. Um, young team, very, just totally, they were here actually at Liquid last week to kind of check us out to see if we, you know, handle snakes or what the deal is here. Uh, and they were, like, totally all about, like, you know, what we stand for as a church. And they're thrilled at the prospect of 600 or so folks kind of coming through on their on Sundays. Um, so there's a cube lounge you can hang out, you know, when the sermon gets boring. And um, But we're just amazed, you know, Liquid exists for, you know, people who aren't here yet. And if you're a member, get ready, because this is going to be in less than 10 weeks. We take the pegs and move the whole operation there. Now, you know, I also want to acknowledge that for some of you, and I I can see it on some of your faces, I see some of you are like,
2: yes, I live in Morristown.
0: Uh, But some of you are also like, no, this this actually isn't so great. (laughs) Because this new launch will actually represent a loss for you. It will make your life harder. Um, You may miss the local environment here at, at Millington, or perhaps you already drive 30 minutes, and this adds another 15 onto your commute. And you know what? That is a big deal. This is about actually 15 minutes from here. And maybe you're like, more I think it's going to be too far. And we just want to express that. We took that into account as we made this decision because we were like, you know, this involves real people's real lives. But when we looked at it, we said, this is going to be their strategic location. If you look at it, it literally is at the crossroads of 287 uh, of Route 24, you've got 280 kind of coming in there. And, of course, 80, which goes all the way from east to west. And we know there are going to be some people from Parsippany or Whippany area who've never come before. You know, booting all up in that way. And it really made, hit our three main goals. We were like, we want to find a place where, A, we can open up new morning services. B, in an environment that is comfortable and compelling, which reflects our relational approach to ministry. And, again, not just fill a facility, but serve a city. And we're like, we are going to be building on that free market outreach we did this past summer, and further investing in the least, the last, and the lost. So this is an invitation to you. Um, we hope, honestly, like the Marines, no man or woman left behind. Any Marines in the house? I got. I got to thank Jim. What do you say to that? Hua, right? <laughs> Someone at the four was like, Hua. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> Um, really, we think this is the start of something special. So as you pray this week, I want to kind of invite you to ask God, and all all of us, kind of look beyond, you know, the short-term impact and catch your vision for reaching more unchurched people in New Jersey for Christ. We are convinced it's going to be worth the trip. Now, there are going to be more details, obviously, and um, we're thrilled about how this is going to, again, give us a chance to expand our children's ministry. You may have noticed it's getting a little crowded downstairs, and we'll have more details about how you can help with that over the next 10 weeks. But we're going to thank God together. And before we do that uh, for for his provision, I want to invite Dave Brooks up here. Would you give Dave a, a round of applause? Dave? Dave is our board chairman, and um, as a board chairman, that means he, he, like, works for free but doesn't get paid, you know? He, like, does all the heavy lifting and really, like, puts it out there. And he was instrumental, really, in this whole relocation process. This was – we looked at a lot of different places, right?
2: Yeah, we sure did. And as uh, Tim said, it's up and down. You know, there was a lot of exciting times when we were thinking about where we wanted to go and what possibilities there were. We looked up and down the 287 corridor, in and out uh, Route 78, and we really wanted to find the right place for – liquid. But, you know, even as I was doing this, I mean, you do kind of evaluate it in the back of your mind, what's this going to mean to me? We live in Scotch Plains and this is going to be another 15 minutes. You know, we haven't quite figured out whether we do the Great Swamp Route or Route 24 or, you know, what it's going to mean for us. But, you know, you do keep that in mind. But I tell you, when we were looking at this in comparison with everything else we'd seen over the course of the last few months, we really feel God opened up this opportunity for us. And we, as a family, are very excited about what God's going to do in Morristown. And even though it means an extra 15 minutes for us, you know, we think it's worth the trip.
0: Now, you teach actually the Crown small group, the financial course on Sunday afternoon. Is that going to continue? Well,
2: we will. I mean, I think that can probably meet there because it's going to be on Sunday. We'll be getting the facility for all of Sunday. So I think we can probably have a lot of small group activity on Sundays. But we're also planning one for Tuesday nights at 7.30. And we're going to have to think about where that uh, meets because we'll start here at Millington up until... April 1st, and then we're going to have to discuss where the best option is for us. Great.
0: It gives us some wonderful options. I mean, even just the chance to have a starting point group for people who have questions after the service mm-hmm. or a membership brunch. We have it all right there. It's going to be really exciting. So would you stand with us? And we're going to pray and thank God just for everything he provided. Um, Lord, we, did, we just want to totally honor you. We thank you for, um, for coming through on your promise. So I guess the way you said it in the Bible was that you will um, do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And we are grateful to you, Lord. In in those rooms, um, there are going to be lives that get changed. There are going to be people who become your children. They're going to be born into your family for the first time. Uh, And we are totally excited about it. Thanks for including us on your mission. I ask you to guide us in the weeks ahead. There's a lot to do, Lord, in 10 weeks. And I pray that you would give this community, our family, Lord, the heart and the courage um, to do whatever it takes uh, to make your name uh, famous all throughout New Jersey. We ask that, Lord, and give you honor and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Before you sit down, would you shake the hand of somebody and say, wow, Morristown? Go ahead. <laughs> say hi.
1: Wow. I don't even know
2: how How are you doing? I'm Dave. Wow yeah yeah you yeah. know i'm gonna open a can of worms with this one so all right this one
1: here is the big enchilada amigos all right so and what you have to forgive me in advance if, if this stings a little you're gonna to have, to, to have to cut me a little slack if this convicts or challenges you because i never want to do that no what i'm allowed to talk about is things people don't like to talk about it goes up there with religion and politics it's one of those things you don't talk about if all you want to do is make friends no this one here this is a little different because the love of this thing, the love of it, you know what I'm saying, is the root of all kinds of evil. But on the other hand, without it, you can't do much good, right? You crack the code yet? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, money. M-O-N-E-Y. Yeah, the almighty dollar, the cash, the campers, the greenbacks, the gravy, the loot, the moolah, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? I got my own personal favorite, the dead presidents. The higher number on the dollar bill, the goofier the president, the more hands want to touch it. Go figure. You know what? We ask a lot of questions about these presidential papers, don't we? Yeah, how are we going to spend it? How am I going to use it? My own personal favorite? Huh, huh. How am I going to act like I don't have any so my relatives don't bother me anymore? Or how am I going to miss the offering plate every time it passes by? And, of course, the dominant Republican question, how am I going to invest and how do I keep it from the IRS? Yeah, money, the big, big question. But there's one question we always leave out, at least I do. Whose is it? I mean, whose money is it really? That is the million-dollar question, pardon the pun, right? I know some might say, hey, it's my money because I work hard with these hands. Yeah? Who gave you the hands, buddy? All right? You're smarter than some? Who gave you the brains? You're driven? Who gave you the ambition? All right, I, I know you can arrange a lot of things on your own, but you can't tell me you arranged your birthplace, who your parents were, who your friends are going to be, what schools you went to, the technology that was going to be there, the people that came before you to pave the way, the people who are here now to lighten the load. Ah, you didn't arrange that, did you? Should I go on? No, 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 I don't think so. You know, I suppose all I'm trying to say is this, people. All right. I got a big wake-up call last year. I got my kid a Xbox 360. I threw it on the floor. Boom, that's yours. I got every possible, imaginable accessory that there is. Everyone you can think of. The cordless, wireless, bang, bang, the flip-flop, the yip-yap. Everything you could possibly think of. Even through an HD plasma so everybody could see it beautifully. A couple of dozen games and said, hey, we're off to a good start. One day I come home and I said, hey, son, you mind if I play the game? You're only sitting there over in the corner. Maybe dad can give it a shot. You know what he says to me? No, that's mine. Wait your turn. Needless to say, I did a 180 on the 360, and now that sucker sits comfortably in my own personal home theater, and I'm the only one with the key. You know why? Because everything in that baby is mine.
0: That's right. We're going to talk about it. We're talking about M-O-N-E-Y, the almighty dollar, the cash, the cabbage, the greenbacks, the gravy, the loot, the moolah, the dead presidents. No matter what you call it tonight, we are jumping in. We're touching the third rail of the spiritual life, money, finances, high-definition finances specifically. And this is a subject we can get excited about. Uh, keep in mind, I was a former English teacher, but Dave, you were actually, by trade, an accountant, accountant, a numbers guy. <laughs> uh, and in fact, when you talk with Lois, one of the things, this is kind of telling, when, when you talk with your wife, Lois. Yeah,
2: exactly. When I, I guess I can say this, right? Um, you know, I say to Lois... You know how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Now, she says, I need more words, and I'm working on that. I'm like, specific, concrete, you got to use poetry, man. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, the the
0: last few weeks, when we've been considering the subject of high-definition living, we've been asking the question, are you living in high definition? In other words, if your life was being transmitted through a television set, what would it look like? Black and white, kind of a blurry kind of image, or a high-res screen with crystal clear clarity and focus? And the same question, can be asked of your finances. I mean, this is a cra- you know, crazy question to ask. Are your finances blurry? Uh, I kind of know what's going on. Or in focus, sharply. You know exactly how much you own, and maybe more importantly, how much you owe. <laughs> do you have a long-term financial plan? Or even the, you know, the question just asked on the video, whose money is it anyway?
2: Yeah, the, uh, you know, what we want to do tonight is to be able to bring some of what you're doing on your financial side into crystal clear focus. You know, there was a 2020 special a few weeks ago entitled, Flat Broke, Begging and Borrowing in America. And the following statistics were cited. You know, American consumers are 800 billion in debt. That's billion with a B. You know, savings is at the lowest since the Great Depression, 70 years ago. That's when people had no money. (laughs) An average credit card debt is $2,000 per person. You know, more than 50% of people don't pay off their credit cards each month. That means they are borrowing from the credit card company at rates of, on average, 18%, but some as high as 33%.
0: Now, I know nobody in this room is paying interest at 18%, right? (laughs) The reality is a group that, you know, this size, some of you are included in these statistics. Right, Dave? Very
2: true. why don't we do something? Let's, um, let's take your bulletins, if you will. Maybe we can have the lights up if somebody uh, is around. Thank you. Pull these hey. out real quick. Take your bulletin yep. out here. This is going to be a good little telling quiz. So what we're going to do is take a little quiz. You know, you've got your uh, paper in there. Just get out a pencil from the pew in front of you or a pen. It'll be a uh, quick quiz. Uh, only one question is required. So now that we're starting 2007, let's just take a look back at 2006. What about your finances in 2006? Would you say that your financial life is getting better? You know, are you saving more money? Do you have less debt than you did at the beginning of last year? Did you put more into savings? Or did you have to pull money out? If you can say yes to these questions, then you know, right at the top of your bulletin, just put a little arrow heading up words. So going, if you're on the up, put an arrow pointing yep. up. Just put an arrow pointing up. Now for the rest of us. OK. <laughs> So, 2006 might have been a year where you're losing ground. Maybe it wasn't the only year, but it may have been one of those years where you're losing ground. You weren't able to pay off those student loans you wanted to, or you filled out another application for a credit card, and you haven't put money into savings. In fact, you've been pulling money out of savings, and you're wondering how long that's going to last. Then, you know, just put a little down arrow. Right in there, put a little down arrow on your bulletin, wherever you want to do it. I'm going to put it kind of a little bit, now this is
0: private, I know we're not going to share it or pass it in, but I'm going to put mine kind of like that, all right, with a little bit like an imaginary line going up halfway.
2: Yeah, it's probably good for most people. Now, it may be that um, the person sitting next to you is the one most responsible for your finances or your financial picture, you know, a spouse, children, I don't know if you're here with your parents, and the first meeting, my daughter put her her arrow pointing to me, So are you going to blame, you can kind of turn it yeah, sideways. Yeah, exactly. It's their
0: fault. Like Chuck's like, uh, mine is going down because of her, Shelda, over there, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Okay? All right. Well, here's the deal. For most of you, you, know, you probably didn't know what to do. You know, should I put it up or down or, like Tim, a little bit sideways? Um, because you don't spend a lot of time thinking about your financial picture. You know, if, uh, if the bills are paid and the checks aren't bouncing and nobody's calling, you just kind of forget about it. You know, you put it in the back corner and you don't worry about it until the next week when you have to deal with those bills again or maybe at the end of the month if you can put it, put it off that long. Well, what we want you to do tonight is to kind of reach into that back corner, pull out your financial condition, and let's kind of bring it to the forefront. Let's look at uh, what it's like and compare it with what God says. Let's take a high-definition look at your financial picture. You know, let me start by saying, you know, God is intensely interested in your finances. If someone were to ask you, you know, what does the Bible talk about? You know, you might say God, Jesus, faith, prayer. Boy, those are good answers, but they probably wouldn't include money. Check this out. There are over
0: 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with money or possessions. 15% of everything that Jesus ever said has to do with money or possessions. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about those subjects than he did about heaven and hell combined. And that's a staggering to think about. And why is that? Because there's a fundamental connection between a person's relationship with God and their relationship with money and possessions. The two actually go hand in hand. Now, you know our mission at Liquid is to lead a generation into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we want to introduce you to Jesus because we're convinced that when you get to know him and learn how loving, how grace-filled he is, you will want to trust him. But after deciding to trust Jesus, the next area that requires the most faith, according to Jesus, is money. I mean, it's one of the biggest risk areas in the Christian life, let alone, you know, life in general. And the reason is that we naturally want to place our trust in money rather than trust in God. I mean, the allure of the lifestyle we want, you know, America, you know, the most rich and famous, what our money may be able to provide us, it's a strong pull. So we like to kind of separate money from God and faith and just kind of keep that little area to ourselves. Like, I'll keep it in my heart and maybe some prayer and like, you know, my career. But money, watch it. One of the biggest tests of our faith in God is whether we're willing to give up control of our money and over what it could provide us and ask God to get involved in our finances. Now, Jesus talked about money and possession so much because he knows that when you look underneath the money issue, it's actually, it ain't about the greenbacks, the yip-yap, the flip-flop at all. (laughs) The real issue is trust. When Jesus was instructing his disciples in the crowds regarding how they should live in a kingdom, he said this in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, no one, not one of you, can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's something natural, here's obvious, there will be a struggle in your life. And you will have to make a decision. Are you going to serve money or God? Because you can't actually trust and put your faith in both of them. So in other words, our understanding, our use and trust of money is going to reveal
2: who we actually are serving. Now... Let's go live for a minute, okay? If you can reach into your pocket or your wallet or your purse, and if you can take out an actual bill. I mean, I've got a one here, but I know some of you can probably have fives, tens, twenties. Just take that out. People still bring money to church, don't they? Two people. Now, with I'm going to come down the
0: center row, and I'm just going
2: to collect it from you, okay? <laughs> what do you want to do with us this, Dave? All right, so let's, uh, let's take that bill, if you can. If everybody has your bill, hold it up there. Now, if you look at the front of it, and the front of it has a side with the dead presidents, <laughs> all right? It has a number on it. Now let's turn that over. All right? So we're all looking at the back. Now, right in the middle, in the back, just a little above the halfway point, are some words. Can we read those words together? The four little words? Yeah, those four little words. In, in God, God we, we trust. trust. <laughs> Is that true? Can you trust God with what you're holding in your hand? I mean, isn't it ironic that these words, in God we trust, are put on currency, which can be one of the biggest deterrents to us trusting in God? But that's the real big question tonight. Can we trust God with what we're holding in our hand? Now, keep that bill close and put it in the fold of your bulletin, because we're going to look at it again. But let's take some time to talk about God's perspective on money. You know, God is all about relationship. God wants you to prioritize and handle your money in a way that deepens the relationship you have with him. There's no other objective. You know, he's not interested in getting your money. I mean, there's a confusion there. People think, well, the reason money comes into the church is because God wants it. No, that's not his objective. He doesn't need it. You know, he's even not interested in restricting you so that you can't enjoy things. You know, God wants you to have a rich and full and enjoyable life. God's consuming desire is to deepen your relationship with him, and he wants you to handle your money in a way that will allow you to grow in your relationship with him. Now, in order to let our money help rather than hurt our relationship with God, it's important to differentiate the role God plays and the role we play. You know what is God's role and what is ours. You know too often we confuse the two when it comes to money. So the first step in understanding high definition finances, bring it into focus from God's perspective, is to determine what is God's role and what is our role. So we'll start with God's role. Could you turn with me in your Bibles? We've got Bibles at the end of the pews, and if they could be handed down so that everybody could have one, we're going to take a look at a passage in the Old Testament, First Chronicles 29. Verses 11 to 12, it's on page 692, so hopefully uh, we don't have enough people to pass here, so people are going to have to reach and move, but hopefully everybody will get their uh, Bible in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. It's also in your bulletin if you want to cheat, yes. by the way, that's for okay. the cheaters. Okay, <laughs> so you don't have to reach. Now, First Chronicles is in the Old Testament, it's one of those um, books that were written about the period before Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, and this chronicles the kings. And at the end of 1 Chronicles, David, King David, was praising God because the people had brought abundant offerings in order to build the temple. And here's what he says in verses 11 and 12 of 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in the heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. You know, God's role can be summed up in one word. Ownership. The Bible clearly states that God is the sole owner of everything. You know, we just read, Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O oh Lord.
0: There are dozens of other Bible passages that reinforce that concept of ownership. I mean, Psalm 24, for instance, says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the, the world and all who live in it, everything belongs to God. If you go back in Deuteronomy 10, to, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heaven and the earth. And in that last phrase, and everything in it. In other words, everything means everything. <laughs> And that includes what you have and what you would say is yours. It includes the, you know, the new iPod you got for Christmas, the clothes I'm wearing, our cars, the bill that you just put in your bulletin. Everything, literally, recognizing God's ownership is particularly important for followers of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, no one can actually follow me who is not willing to give up everything he owns. And the rich young ruler went away sad. I mean, Now, while God may not ask us physically to give them up, we have to be willing to give them up and recognize he is the ultimate owner, and, and that is hard, because it goes against everything that we feel or we sense innately as humans. I mean, from the very beginning, even as a small child, parents, you know this, we take a different view of it. You know what we say as a small child, what is the first four-letter word that any small child learns? M-I-N-E, let's say it together, mine, <laughs> or for the less verbal of our children, they just grab stuff. <laughs> I mean, from the very earliest part of our being, it's all about mine. You know, what is mine is mine, and what is yours is mine. (laughs) We have this constant desire to kind of get more and make it mine, our possession. But God says, if you want to understand finances from my point of view, it's not about saying it's mine. It's learning to say, God, this is yours, everything, and you own it all. And that is pretty radical. I mean, it's hard to think of giving up ownership and
2: control of what we have, particularly when we've worked so hard to get it. You know, and because it's so radical, you know, we sometimes entertain other approaches that help us avoid having to give God ownership of everything. You know, the first is we say, well, money really isn't God's thing. You know, we come up with a lot of other things that we say God is really more interested in than money. You know, it's spiritual stuff like prayer and faith and belief, right? And then, you know, there, Emotional stuff. I mean, that's kind of connected to spiritual stuff. So God's really interested in that. Um, you know, is there anything else? Carpentry. Carpentry. Yes. Jesus was a carpenter. He's he's got to be more interested in that than he would be interested in money. Not plumbing. No, Carpentry. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put plumbing plumbing on that list. I don't think. But definitely not money or savings or investments, especially not stock market investments. Wall Street. No way. Remember Gordon Gecko. Greed is... Good. good.
0: No one else came of age in the 80s. <laughs> Wall Street, the movie Wall Street, Michael Douglas. Oh, you're
2: making me feel so old. Go ahead. Yeah, greed is good. <laughs> greed is right. Greed works. You know, that's no place for God. You know, is it? Is investments or Wall Street a place God is interested in? You know, the truth is, yes. You know, God is interested in everything, and particularly... Everything that impacts you and may keep you from allowing him to bless you and deepen the relationship he has with you. You know, outstanding author Larry Burkett observed, you know, when we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. You know, no longer do we ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? We say, no. Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? So then... It's not a matter of just what will we spend. What we do is we have to ask God what he wants with every decision we make regarding money. You know, money is God's thing, and he is interested in it in whether we give him complete ownership and control.
0: When we're trying to avoid God's ownership, a second approach is just to say, well, you know what, okay, tithing takes care of God. I mean, in a few minutes, we're gonna, you're going to see a little video uh, from somebody in our community who had an experience with tithing. Tithe, some of you know, means the word tithe actually means what? Anyone know? Tithe. Tenth. Tithing is giving to God a tenth of what you earn. And so those who are or tithing or giving to God can get the idea that, you know what? As long as I give like 10% of like, kind of the stuff that comes my way, that satisfies the God requirement. <laughs> and it kind of looks at, like tithing is like this holy tax, <laughs> right? I mean, you pay your taxes and it satisfies the government requirement. Well, it doesn't really satisfy them because they tend to keep coming back, asking for more and more. It's another sermon. But just as paying your taxes satisfies the government, you can get the idea that paying a tithe or 10% satisfies the God requirement. And once you've satisfied the God requirement, the rest is yours. And so that says if you make, you know, 10000 bucks and the tithe is 1000 or 10%, the other 9000 is mine. Not so. <laughs> Not so much. Actually, from the perspective of ownership, it says, um, God, it's all yours However much you want to use, how much would you like me to keep? Hmm, That's a different question. I mean, as we've been discussing, God isn't interested in requirements. God's interested in a relationship, a relationship that we trust him and actually in blessing comes out on his part. And Jesus knows that the best way for you to have blessing in the area of your finances is for you to give up ownership to him. So that's why the Bible says that God's the owner of everything, the best thing for you and me is when we give him and acknowledge the ownership. In other words, God wants ownership of the whole 10,000 you receive as income, or the whole 100,000, or whatever it is, the ownership of everything, even if he's going to allow you to keep some of it. And as opposed to those approaches where you say money is not God's thing, or tithing takes care of God, we need to learn the better responses to make God the owner of everything we have. And we say, God, you own it, the whole enchilada, it's all yours, everything, it's savings, cars, whatever it is, it's yours to deal with.
2: So, you know, how do we do that? You know, how do you transfer the ownership of everything to God? You know, it's not a matter of going to a lawyer and drafting documents that you give to God. I, I mean, I don't even think they do that. You know, no, 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 no. It's Mr. not Mr. God. It's God, just G-O-D, you know, supreme being, deity. I mean, you'd lose them. They wouldn't follow you. You know, transferring everything to God is really a posture of the heart. You know, it's a heart that trusts God enough to give him everything you have You know, as Tim mentioned, I presently lead the Crown Financial Small Group here at Liquid. And, you know, I had a great group this past year, and we talked about budgeting and debt and repayment and assets. And, you know, it's hard to believe, but it was a rewarding experience, (laughs) uh, hopefully, for them. And the small group has a lot of good tools. And one of the tools is what they call a transfer of ownership deed that my wife, wife Lois, and I completed when we first went through this a few years ago. You know... It has a, uh, you can see it up here now, that it has a section where you identify yourselves, and then you say you're going to transfer everything over to the Lord God, and then you start to list those possessions. Now, this is where you put in specific items, and then, you know, you're going to sign and date at the bottom. And you can see from this schedule that we put on appliances and furniture and jewelry and computer and cars. And, you know, as you think about it, you know, when you go through this list, certain items are going to be easier, and some are going to be harder to add. I mean, God, you can take the toaster. You know, it's never really worked right. I mean, it's either burnt or underdone. So, listen, when you take the toaster, maybe we can talk about a little warranty, maintenance contract, or something to get it fixed, um, seeing as you're the owner. Um, But it's a little bit harder, you know, to give God, you know, the Apple iMac G5 with the cinema screen. You know, that's that's a little bit harder for us to give God ownership. You know, it's worth more, and not counting the fact that, you know, I kind of like to have control over what I'm looking at on the computer and how long I spend on it. You know, I, even, I'm not a car guy, so, you know, I, I didn't think adding cars on this was a problem. However, you know, after I completed this deed for the first time a few years ago, I was backing out of, or I was driving out of the back, the, the, um, at work, at the end of a day, and, you know, you don't really think about much, and so you're just going through the same routine, and all of a sudden, the car in front of me was in reverse, slamming into the hood of my car and totaling my 1986 Toyota Corolla, a car we had had for 16 years. It's a sweet ride. So, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's exactly. They don't come any better than that, that's right? Nice, it was nice, a classic. It was still working. It's still working. So, you got out of the car. You know, the other guy gets out of the car and, you know, you're a little stunned. I mean, I wasn't hurt. It wasn't that bad, but a little stunned, and so I said, what what happened? And he said, well, you know, my driving companion thought he saw a fox, so I backed up. I'm thinking, a fox? (laughs) You know, why don't you go to the zoo or the Internet? Just type F-O-X. Why did you have to back into my car? But, you know, the next day as I was thinking about this, um, you know, I was reminded of this transfer of ownership form. And I realized, hey, this is God's car. Now, that begs the question, why did God want his car to get hammered? (laughs) But, you know, that's a different story. But anyway, it was God's car. And, you know, as I worked through the insurance claim and the temporary transportation and finding a new car and, you know, grieving the loss of my traveling companion for 16 years, I still had to remember it was God's car. You know, in fact, there's a little sadness today. Glenn, we may need to talk about that, <laughs> a little grief recovery action still. But, you know, I had to remember it was God's car.
0: You know, if you take out this bill real quickly um, that we had you put in the fold of your bulletin, we're going to refer to it again. Take this thing out. Just remind yourself of the question. Can you trust God with what's in your hand? Um, Lois, you actually completed that deed a few years ago, correct, Dave? Yeah, we did. It was interesting, because it's one of the tools in the Crown Financial course, and it's like, we invite people, and we tell them, oh, take that, you know, that course, if you really want to get your finances in order, if you want to get out of debt, and like, one of the first exercises is relinquishing all of your assets over to God, and 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 it's symbolic, but, but, but it begs a great kind of question, you know, would you be willing to do that? Now, let me make this live for you, I mean, we just announced Liquid has found a new home, and we are so excited about moving to the center of Morristown. We are thrilled. We know that environment is going to draw folks who are taking a step back to God. And when we signed that contract with the Hyatt on Friday, I was, like, I was like so thankful to God. I was just, like, he literally provided something that's beyond what we could ask or imagine. But I was, like, you know, what exceeds that is the generosity of the people here. I was, like, many of you responsible for our ability to do that, giving over $600,000 over the last four months, and we were like, we were thanking God, and we were like, praising God for you, but the reality is, this is most likely transitional space, we're not going to be there forever, if we move to a more permanent location, it's like 600,000, we're like, that's actually nothing, (laughs) we met with a guy who actually builds buildings and contractor, and it was was just kind of, we're talking a little bit about, you know, we have about 600,000, he's like, oh, so you don't have anything, we're like, no, (laughs) we don't, and we're like, not even in the ballpark, it's amazing, so we started talking about it, and he was like, well, if we were to build you a building, honestly, he goes, we need to have certain guarantees, and those certain guarantees are usually a little bit more in the seven digits, several seven digits. So is there any way that you guys can guarantee that money? And we're like, I, I don't think so. Uh, and he's like, well, he goes, guarantees can take a lot of weight." And as we are talking with our realtor, she was like, well, you know, there are certain things you can do, for instance. She said, like, you could guarantee, for instance, your own assets or your homes of your leadership team. <laughs>
2: And that's what. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's where it started to get tough because, you know, as the leadership of Liquid, we were asking ourselves and our wives, you know, is this something that we'd be willing to do? Nope. And clearly there's a risk associated with this guarantee. So, you know, while Lois and I had completed this form, this deed a few years ago, now it was getting matched up against an actual situation. You know, because with this guarantee comes risk. And with this risk, come questions and fears, you know, and as we talked about, we realized we really like our home, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we don't don't want to lose it, and actually, you know, we have plans for those investments, like retirement, you know, we were asking ourselves two questions, you know, does God want us to do this, and the second one, if so, would we be willing to do this if God asked? You know, right now, we don't know the answer to the first question. You know, does God want us? You know, there's a lot of things up in the air. Unfortunately, we have this home to move to immediately. But, you know, as Lois and I talked about it, we strongly believe God wanted us to answer the second question. Would we be willing? You know, we need to affirm again that God is the owner of everything we have, and we do trust him. You know, we trust him because he's God and he knows best. You know, but this was just not as simple as we thought it should be. You know, it kind of came to a head a few weeks ago. You know, we'd been given a gift of an overnight and a spa treatment at the Short Hills Hilton. I mean, I ask you, what better place to think about giving up everything than the Short Hills Hilton? Spa treatment. Spa treatment. Oh, I mean, it just puts you in the it. right mood. So, you know, <laughs> we arrived on a Friday afternoon about 3.30, and we checked in, and we got um, our massage. I wasn't too sure about it originally, but it's a gift, you know, it's not, it's not polite to not accept a gift. So we went through it, and you know, we were feeling pretty relaxed, and came back to the room, got dressed, went out to dinner, had a great uh, dinner there at the hotel, and just wonderful conversation. And after dinner, we came back to the room, and we were talking some more, and it was just really great to just be the two of us and enjoying the time together. And, and, then, I, um, and then I brought up the subject of the Guarantee to liquid
0: which wrecked everything.
2: (laughs) Right, Lois? Lois is now, she's like, yeah, Yeah, ruined the whole thing. Thanks, Tim. Go ahead. How did that work out, Dave? Yeah, Lois said later, she said, you know, it was really a great day up until you brought up that guarantee thing. You know, and then, so we ended up talking about it and praying about it and talking about it some more and went to bed and we woke up at breakfast and we talked and prayed and Lois cried and (laughs) I sympathized and, you know, this was hard. Um, You know, we both wanted to be able to say, God, you know, this is yours, and we trust you. You know, but it was interesting. Even in this process, Lois asked, you know, is this the last time I'll be getting a spa treatment? I mean, it's a natural question. You know, we often think when we give to God, we're going to have to give up our enjoyments. You know, we think about the downside and the loss, and we don't think about God's huge, generous heart. You know, so after spending some time talking and praying, we both said we wanted to be willing to give God everything we had, but, you know, we really weren't completely sure. And so here is how I believe God helped us, you know, with our uncertainty and confirmed to us he could be trusted. You know, I, we were leaving the hotel and checking out. Um, went downstairs, we got in our car. Unfortunately, not the Toyota Corolla, but um, <laughs> another car. And, you know, I realized I'd shortchanged Lois. So, so let's, let's go out to lunch, and in fact, we'll go out to lunch at the Café Beethoven, a nice little quaint bistro that she likes. I'm not too fond of it, but it, this was all about Lois. So you know, we went to um, Café Beethoven, and you know, we were sitting there talking and, and really having a, a great time, and uh, all of a sudden, Lois turns and starts talking to the woman at the table next to us, and I'm thinking, isn't this about us? You know, why are you bringing somebody else in here? But, you know, she had recognized this person from Liquid, and this person recognized her, and, you know, I didn't really know her. But it turned out we had a wonderful conversation. We got to know this beautiful woman who's part of our community. And so this woman got up and left, and then after we were done eating, I went to the waitress and said, okay, what we owe you? And she said, nothing. I said, nothing. Come on. We had the salads and, and the drinks. And she said, no, that lady who was in the table beside you paid for your lunch. So we said, oh, that's really nice. We got to know somebody in our community. And she was gracious enough to buy us lunch. Um, But we didn't realize the real truth. You know, as Lois was going to sleep that night, it came to her. You know, Susan didn't buy us lunch. God did. You know, we had spent the morning worrying about where the money would come from if we guaranteed it to liquid. You know, we're thinking too much about the worst-case scenario, worrying about the consequences but not trusting. And God answered us at lunch. You know, we believe he said through this kind gift, a bunch of lunch, and I'll buy you anything you need in the future if you give me ownership of everything you have today. He said, I can be trusted with what you have in your hand. You know, as I said, we don't know if we will or won't have to guarantee anything. But for now, we've answered the se- second question. We're willing. What a confirmation that free lunch was.
0: kind of flies in the face of the phrase, there are no free lunches in life, except when God guarantees it. Mm. You know, that's God's role, ownership of everything. But we have a role to play too. And while God owns And controls everything. He entrusts you and me with some stuff. What's our role? The word the Bible uses to describe our role and responsibility is the word steward. And God wants us to ask as stewards or kind of managers. That's really what that means with what he has given us. We manage the stuff. So in other words, think about all the stuff that you've been given. And good stewardship really begins with that phrase you kind of only hear at church, tithes and offerings. (laughs) When I was growing up, again, I'm one of the over-church guys, I grew up in church, and, and the guy would always come up and he said, Now it's time to collect our tithes and offerings. And I always thought, up until I was about 14, he was saying tithes and <laughs> offerings. So I used to take my little clip on, like, you know, like put it in there. My mom was like, put it back on. Uh, the most important way we confirm that God owns everything and that we're in story is to give back to God some of our first fruits. Now, Malachi 3 is very instructive about tithing. Can not borrow that, Dave? Malachi is in the Old Testament, page 1548, okay? Turn that real quick. If you're Italian, you'll like it because Malachi. You'll say it Malachi. He's an Italian prophet. Malachi, okay? This is Malachi 3, and this is a powerful p- passage here, and it's pretty strong language. But I want you to get past some of that and dig into a couple of the key issues here. Take a look at this. Malachi 3, and we'll look at verses 6 through 10. This is a powerful statement. This is God talking to Israel. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. One of the great truths of the Bible. God is not wishy-washy. He doesn't change. He says, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So here's the deal. The nation of Israel was kind of softening spiritually, and Malachi was urging them, return to God. And if you're here tonight because you're taking steps, return to God awesome. (laughs) You are a privileged guest. We are not after your money. We want to help you with a relationship with God. But if you're interested in a relationship with God, that involves every aspect of your life. Financially, your sexuality, everything. Now the big deal here is that look at what Malachi says then. He picks up here in verse, I believe it's uh, 8 here. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? (laughs) In tithes, and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. This is where God gets a little bit narrow. You robbing me, you know, kind of thing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now watch. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, this passage opens with an accusation, right? And they're hard, they're hard words to understand. Will a person rob God, yet you rob me? God is saying he's been robbed. And it's not kind of like, you know, you ever, have you ever had someone actually, you know, take something from you? Or you ever been robbed? Or when, when someone steals from you, it obviously damages the relationship. <laughs> I was talking with Mike. He, he told me that he and Tara had their camera. They had their camera packed in their luggage when they went down to Florida last week on a USA 3000 flight. They get back. They open up their luggage. Guess what's missing? The camera. Now, this is a pricey kind. Of, it was a nice camera and everything. Got it for Christmas. Gone. Understandably, Mike and Tara are not like this with USA 3000 Airline. <laughs> in fact, they're going through like, you guys should pay for it. No, it was your fault. That two-hour delay didn't help their relationship either. But, but God says, look, you're robbing me, and it's damaging our relationship. And then people are like, well, wait, h- how do we rob you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. What, what do you mean? it? Here's how you solve it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house.
2: Now, put yourself in the mind of the Israelite listening to Prophet Malachi in those days. You know, when he heard the word tithe, he understood that was expected giving. You know, as long as God has been speaking to his people about finances, God has said that the tithe, or 10%, is expected giving. And the Israelites understood this. You know, there's a difference between the tithe and offering. You know, I used to think that these words were redundant. You know, the same thing. You know, bring your tithes, your offerings. You can use the, either one. You can say both. It doesn't matter. But the Bible looks at it a little differently. It defines these words separately. The tithe is considered expected giving. The 10% is considered expected giving in the Bible. But the word offering implies voluntary giving, free will, above and beyond the expected tithe. So you see, Malachi is saying the Israelites aren't giving the expected amount or the voluntary amount. And God says, you are robbing me because of that. So how do you solve it? Well, the answer is right here. Bring the whole tithe. Now, God really doesn't need to use the word whole with the word tithe because every Israelite who heard that would understand the tithe to be the full 10%. But God wants to emphatically say the whole tithe, the full 10%. God is saying that you bring the whole tithe back to him. He said when you bring the whole tithe back to him, then you know you're going to get back on proper ground. Then God says something very powerful. He said, test me in this. You know, nowhere else in the Bible, you know, you go through any other place in the Bible and God's, all of his communication and promises and dealings with the nation of Israel and when Jesus came and what he said, nowhere else in the Bible does it say Test me. In fact, it does
0: say in the Bible, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. Right. And yet, God says, test me in this. When you test somebody on something, what are you trying to find out? Hmm. If they really know the content. Hmm. And God says, test me. See what my character is like. Get to know me in this particular area of finances. Right.
2: You know, it's, it's not like a bully challenge where, you know, God is saying, okay, draw the line and test me by stepping over there. You know, that's, that's not God. You know, in fact, it's very different. You know, it's a good God who has incredible gifts of blessing and joy that he wants to give his people. He says, you're not going to believe what I have for you. Step up your tithe. Get back into a right relationship with me, because you're not going to believe I'm going to return to you what you have given. Now, how does God do that? I mean, how does he respond to our giving the whole tithe? Well, he can respond with spiritual blessings, with joy and abundance. Emotional blessings of peace and security. But also, many times, God works in our finances. You know, to stretch our dollars, reduce our cost, increase our income. So this extra giving is not a hardship. question is, uh, you know, have you been putting this off? I mean, in this whole area of finances, you know, this stuff that you stuck in the back corner, one of those things that you really didn't even want to talk about was tithing or giving. But do you hear God saying, test me. See what I'm made of. You know, last year, Pastor Tim gave a series on money, debt, and stuff. And after that series, one of our small group leaders' heart was impacted. You know, he's not a guy who makes a lot of money, and he was going through some job issues. But he heard God's challenge. When God said, test me. Trust me. And I will bless you beyond what you can imagine. And I love what he wrote. He said, he said this made no earthly sense when I started
0: tithing. But it makes plenty of sense now. Now, let me clarify. This is not like a give to get scheme, okay? Like you put one, you sew one dollar in, God's going to give you three back. No. <laughs> it's not about putting money into some cosmic genie so you get a big payoff. As Bob said, it's about the heart. And God actually doesn't want our tithe unless it's a response of the heart. For God loves a cheerful giver, not a guilt driven, you know, uh, heavy laden kind of giver, dri- like, oh, I got to pay my tax. No. It's a response that says, "We know you are God. I trust you, and I want to show you how grateful I am for your ownership and give the first fruits back to you." And so, at Liquid, we actually want to respond, actually encourage everyone to take the next step. I, I mean, the Bible says the goal is the whole tithe and some voluntary offerings, and you heard what Bobby G did. But right now, some of you may be in a very difficult situation. I mean, we've got single moms, students, people with the burden of of, of debt. So getting to the place of, of the whole tithe plus an offering would be hard. Still, I want to encourage you to take the next step. And, 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 there, and talk to God. What could possibly the next step be for you? I mean, the possible next step could be if you've never given to God before. You're like, I've never actually. Take the first step of actually giving something back to him. Maybe even tonight. Just as a starting point. It's not about we want your money. But actually opening up this area and giving it to God tonight. That you want to trust God with your money. Or maybe you've given from time to time. But you've never given regularly and consistently. So to help you and be consistent in your giving, I'm going to tell you a little about something about that totally changed the life of Colleen and I, our financial life. This is a little something that Dave uh, worked up as our our, our board uh, chair. It's an automated bank debit enrollment form. I want to pass these down. These are just samples. They're at the end of the pews, but pass them down so everyone can look at it. Dave, can you just tell us a little bit about that real quick?
2: Yeah, if we can all take those uh, and look at them. You know, I say it could be an electronic funds transfer, an automatic debit. It's really the same thing. It's using technology today in the bank to be able to help you be a consistent giver. You know this is hard. I mean, I'm an accountant and I keep track of my money and I got my spreadsheets and I calculate my tithe at the end of the month, and I found invariably I was short. You know, because you skipped or you didn't calculate it right. And, and this automatic debit form, or an electronic funds transfer, helps you to be consistent with the commitment you make to God. So you can be a regular giver of the amount you think you should. It's taken right out. You can do it weekly or monthly. But it makes it a lot easier. Now, it isn't hard to fill out. You know, you just have to fill out the form, attach a voided check or a bank uh, deposit slip, and we can take care of that for you. So if you can do that tonight, that would be great if you're really feeling that that's the first step you want to take. Or if you still need to get some information from home, take it home and mail it back to us.
0: You know, it's funny. Like I said, it changed the life of Colleen and I simply because whenever we, we, we were people who wanted to tithe and give back to God, awesome, great. But you know what? Vacation. Then we go down the shore for the summer. And then, oh, we stayed over and oh, Chase got sick, and now we aren't here two weeks. Well, get take a guess. You think I come back on the third week and I'm like doing the math? Like, I wonder what I owe God. And even that's a weirdo kind of hmm. wonder what I owe God. You can see it changes the relationship. So now what we do is we fill out this automatic debit thing, and that means we don't even see the money before God does. It goes straight into, into his account, as it were. Again, it's not about getting it from church. But really, it's the principle of first fruits. When I was studying this last year, that was what struck me in the eyes. Because Colleen and I were, were, again, tithing. But the Bible has this principle of first fruits. The idea, basically, is that God said to the Israelites, bring your first fruits. In other words, they were farmers, cattle, ranchers, agrarian people. Bring to me, before you have even sorted through it, or given it, or paid off any debts, bring to me the best and prime choice cut. The best part of your grain. The best part of your flock. The first fruits. And the idea is before anyone else touches it, as a way of honoring God, we give it to him. And so when we talk about the full 10%, it's the idea of giving actually God our, on our gross income and not our net income. This is what Colleen, again, I'll just kind of open up our financial life to you a little bit. Colleen and I had a, kind of given on, you know, our, our, our net income. You know what net means. Like, you know, imagine pulling a net out of the water, whatever's left in there. And we would give God, out of, you know, give back to God whatever was kind of left. Actually, we paid a few, you know, a few bills first, and then we saw what was left out of that, and then we would tie it. But the idea we were like first fruits means actually tithing like on your gross income, and we were like, gross. <laughs> wow, the idea of doing that. But I'm not good at the math, so I was like, hey, let's try it. You know, wow, <laughs> that made a massive difference. It, I, we felt that we that hurt us, but in a good way, a good way that stretched us because now we were actually saying God before we even touch mortgage stuff and tax all that. We're going to tithe based on if nothing else was taken out because. All of this is yours, and the prime cut goes to you. So last year was the first year. We actually, the same year, we got out of debt for the first time. I can't even tell you how that exactly worked out, but we said, we want to get out of debt, Lord, and we want to honor you with our tithing by tithing on our gross income. And those two things God enabled to happen in the same year, which typically doesn't usually happen. First, we want to pay MasterCard, then we pay God. You know, Again, we kind of put him on this list of like debtors, and that's not the idea at all. So one of the ways that you can do that is by filling out this automated uh, debit um, form. Proverbs 3, 9 says this. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all
2: you produce. Dave, you got to, you're pretty strongly believe in this. You use this. I do. You know, I mean, you know, you heard what uh, Tim and Kyle did in 2006. Maybe 2007 could be the year for you. Maybe it's the year where you decide to give God the whole tithe. You know, that you're willing to tithe on your gross income. I mean... I have seen it. I have seen it coming out of our crown small groups. I've seen the changes that it makes in people's life when they're willing to honor God with their first fruits. when they're willing to recognize his ownership and give him back their tithes and offerings as their commitment to this principle that they trust God. In fact, you know, I'm so convinced of it that I would urge you to do it for three months. Tithe the whole tithe for three months. And if you're not satisfied, we'll give you your money back. <laughs> oh, wow. Can everyone thank Dave for being here tonight, right?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I,
2: really am, I really am. Can we even do that? I'm it. Well, you know, you're probably right, Tim. I mean, I haven't checked all the legal stuff, so. It, <laughs> Money back guarantee. <laughs> okay, so we okay. forget that part. But, you know, I, I think this is true. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in others who have gone through this crown small group. So I'd urge you to consider it. You know, and. That's the whole time. And we also talked about the voluntary giving. You know, Lois and I, when we first went through the Crown small group, we saw that, you know, we were given the 10%, but we should be thinking about something else. So we made a determination then that we were going to give an extra percent a year. And we'll see how that goes. And we've been doing that for the last few years, and we're now up to 15%. And we've seen that God has honored that. And we've never seen that to be a hardship in our situation. And we don't know where it stops. But for now, I want to continue to honor God with what he's leading us to do and showing him that we trust him by giving something back.
0: That's one of the reasons I want Dave to be up here to share with you tonight. Because we lead, we want people up here who practice what they preach. And we're not asking anything of our family that we don't want the parents to be the most extravagant givers. I mean, when we look at it, we're like, we want the leaders to be the biggest givers and extravagant givers to this church. Not because it's like salaries or anything like that, but because we lead by example, believing that God's going to pour out blessing, even on our leadership because we're honoring him first. It's not about buildings, not about paving parking lots. It's about people and opening up our lives to all of his resources. So what's the next step for you? Maybe it is for me last year it was moving from you know net to gross. For Dave it was moving from 14% to 15%. Maybe for you it's moving from 0% to 1. (laughs) Or maybe it's actually saying, I'm going to automate it this year. (laughs) I usually kind of like not tithing for nine weeks out of the year, the time that I'm not here, but I'm going to give that percent as well to the Lord. What would be the next step for you? I realize next steps are tough because one of the biggest obstacles, if you are in, again, just, you know, in that range of twenties, thirties, forties, one of the biggest obstacles is debt. And that's a huge deal. I mean, right now it's hitting. It is February. Are all the Christmas bills hitting? It's totally depressing. Uh, You guys know that, you know, and you hope like you're going to catch up, but you know what? You know credit card debt. It is like running a marathon with a full backpack. (laughs) You start moving in the right direction, but that weight up heck keeps dragging you down farther and farther and farther behind. The Bible says debt is actually a burden. It doesn't say that debt is a sin, but it strongly discourages debt. Proverbs uh, 22 says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Can you throw that up on the screen there real quick, Susie? When we're in debt, in other words, it's like you're a servant to something else, Mm -hmm. And many of us are servants to MasterCard and Visa and Amex. And the reality is that we don't have the resources fully at God's disposal because we're trying to pay 18% or whatever it is. You know, make no mistake about it. Some of us are going to leave tonight, you know, go watch the Super Bowl halftime. Why, why do you, even those who don't like football, why do you watch halftime? Because you want to see what? The commercials. Do you know how much they actually paid this year the going rate for a 30-second commercial was at the Super Bowl? Five million dollars. Why is a company willing to spend $5 million on 30 seconds? Because they know they're going to get quadruple of that back in stoking those appetites for, fill in the blank, cars, beer, whatever clothes, whatever it is. In other words, they're counting on stoking that consumer appetite. And materialism is a big, big deal. It's probably the, the, the cancer of our generation, quite honestly. But to help you, the idea is, don't pay credit card first. Don't pay MasterCard. It's God stuff. Honor God first. But at the same time, we want to give you tools to help you get out of debt. And that's why we want to give you a step tonight. To sign up tonight for the Crown Small Group. This is the group that actually Dave leads. You want to tell us real quickly about it? It's how, how long is the
2: group, Dave? Yeah, it runs about 10 weeks. We're going to have a session on uh, Sunday afternoon from 2.30 to 4. And then also on uh, Tuesday nights at 7.30. And, you know, we do a lot of practical things. I mean, we look at what God says about finances expand some of the discussion we've had tonight. But there are a lot of practical things that are very important for people. You put a debt repayment schedule together, how to put together a budget, how to identify what um, your assets are. So these things help people to honor the commitments they want to make to God.
0: One of the things Dave likes to emphasize is they try to circle a day on the calendar that's D-Day, debtless day, (laughs) to actually help you take steps to get out of that so you can open up that area of your life and honor God with all of it. Take out that bill that you had before. This is the last time I'm going to ask you to look at it. Can you just look at it again? I want to read those four words on the back in in writing. It says, in God, everyone together, we trust. Here's a question. Is it true? Do you trust God with what you have in your hand? (laughs) God wants us to grow and mature in our relationship with him and know actually the joy of his blessing. And a vital aspect of that is opening up our Our finances. Are you trusting God with what you have and everything else that he has given you? If you haven't, I heard you take one of three steps. First is take the, the step to commit all you own to God. I don't know that you have to fill out an ownership deed like Dave did. I think that's an amazing symbolic act. But maybe the next step is actually you're giving to God. Maybe it's the full tithe for the first time. Or maybe it's offerings, a full tithe plus. Some of you are a financial place where God may be asking you to start giving him offerings instead of just the tithe. You earn $500,000 a year. You think God's cool with 50000 you paid it off, go blow the four fifty. Really? Is that why he chose you to entrust that to you? If you have the burden of debt, I know that's a, that's a simple little you know, minority of us, but if you have the burden of debt, like the majority of us, do whatever it takes to develop a plan and start to get out of debt so you can be free and open up that area of your life to God. That's why you've made the con group available. That's why Dave will be here to talk after uh, tonight's service with some of you. But we want to be people in a church who trust God in everything and for everything, including what we have in our hand. Let's stand together and pray, okay?
2: Lord, we thank you that you care about everything. Everything that impacts us, including our money. And Lord, we want to tell you that we give it all over to you. I mean, that's what we would desire as people who understand who you are we would like to be able to do that but that's hard and so I ask that you would work in the hearts of the people who are here to be able to understand where they are financially and understand what you're asking them to do financially and that they would be willing to listen to you and to be able to take those steps we thank you that you have been so generous to us and we ask that you would encourage our hearts so we can give something back